Welcome in, everybody, to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Colin Munns, and we're off and running. We are back at it again. Back to our kind of regularly regularly scheduled uh, recording time here after having to bang one out a little early in the week last week to facilitate a little camping trip I went on. Uh, it's good to be back. You know, and we're, you know, I'm now recording live from the back in the stinky pee of Peoria, Illinois, after a seven-week hiatus uh, from this lovely pothole-riddled town. So, glad to be back. What 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 causes Peoria to be known as the stinky pee? Is there one particular aspect of the town? Well, so I'll, I'll tell you. It's actually a name I coined. Uh, well, I didn't coin it. I, the Peoria Chiefs intern by the name of Rod Williams. Shout out, Rod, if you're listening. Um, back last season where I was an intern and, uh, we, he, we're both from Texas. He's from Dallas. I'm from Houston. So we had kind of have that clash, but we have that bond at the same time and we're transplants up there. Well, everybody in Peoria calls Peoria P town, which I think is ridiculous because there's no town. There's no like ton. It's Peoria. Like there, it's, so I think it's a ridiculous name and, at the time, the Chiefs kind of leaned into this hashtag of P Town Proud, and they were kind of, they were looking for ways to refresh the hashtag and and maybe come up with something a little newer. Um, and so Rod and I were in a brainstorming session, and uh, Rod said, "Why don't we just call it what it is? It's the Stinky P." <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, you know, it's been the Stinky P ever since ever since then, and uh, I'm running with it. It's hadn't quite caught on yet, but I mean, with the hundreds upon thousands of followers that we have to this podcast, <laughs> maybe it will. And I feel like your uh, H-Town influence would have to make it stanky P versus, oh, it, yeah, versus it stinky P. It's definitely stanky P. It's yeah. an A. Hard yeah. A. <laughs> hard A. Hard <laughs> A. Thanks to like Bun B and, and your boy Paul Wall. But oh, uh, great people. <laughs> I'm glad you bring up Peoria because that's a nice little transition into our first work topic, which is something that we've kind of had on the docket here for a couple weeks now. Um, and it just it just kind of got pushed as things do. But I think this is a perfect time for us to kind of highlight it a little bit. Uh, this was something that I saw, as I said, a couple weeks ago, where minor league baseball uh, came out and reported that in 2019, so last season, uh, they recorded record sales numbers in terms of licensed merchandise. And it's just interesting to see and kind of juxtapose, 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 yeah, uh, have a juxtaposition of minor league baseball going through all of these potential changes and, and major league baseball potentially wanting to come in and, and vertically integrate and, you know, get rid of 40 plus teams via the cut list. And, and so you have that on one hand, but on the other hand, you have minor league baseball really as its own entity growing uh at a faster pace than it ever has uh not just in terms of um teams and their success but also as we're seeing with licensed merchandise sales well two things you bring up there i think it's all rainbows and sunshine for minor league baseball in 19 but that global pandemic that hit um pretty much is going to wipe all those games out but the second thing i want to talk and i and i mean anybody can to say that the global pandemic hurts, but I think minor league baseball is getting hurt exponentially more than other businesses um, by this whole deal. At, moving on though, um, 
the other thing I want to say is how much of this do you think uh, kind of is the product of that Major League Baseball marketing shift to where they started to market to younger fans, to younger people, you know, like the let the kids play movement. I mean, we can even go further back, um, you know, when they actually started moving away from traditional fan type stuff and they're getting into those smaller communities and those smaller communities only have minor league baseball. And so you've kind of, and so maybe I'm, and maybe this is a tin hat conspiracy theory, but maybe we're starting major league baseball is starting to reach that younger demographic. Maybe they're starting to create more casual fans of baseball uh, through those five, 10 years of marketing that we've seen. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. I, I think you're right where major league baseball definitely has taken a more specific approach to try and market to kids um, in, in similar ways with like NBA cares and NFL play 60 and, and some of these things that those leagues have had kind of dedicated towards the younger demographic for a long time. And major league baseball is kind of as they are in many things kind of just catching up to those things. So yeah, I mean, I think that that could help create more fans and younger fans in some of these more rural areas that are serviced by minor league baseball teams. And then because they're now fans of the game, they're more likely to go to their minor league baseball team games and buy merch and all that type of stuff. I'm sure we would probably be naive to say that that doesn't play into it at all. But I I do really think that it is more attributable attributable to the minor league teams themselves. I think what we've seen with teams going going under like rebrands and and the way that they come out with different merchandise and the way that they're able to connect with their community and the the minor league baseball community as a whole because as as we've kind of found out ourselves over the past couple of years like the minor league baseball community on Twitter is like a real thing. Like there's there's a dedicated community on social media that is all about minor league baseball and and not just the minor league baseball in their own like home market. It's also just minor league baseball as a whole. So and and like I said, you you talk about some of the newer teams and what what teams are doing with merch. And it's just kind of becoming more of a professional business operation. Like these minor league teams are starting to act more like bigger, bigger businesses. I, I would like to give them most of the credit, but I'm sure that Major League Baseball making a targeted effort to market towards a younger demographic certainly isn't hurting the cause at all. No, and and I and I don't want it to make it sound like the because there are the minor league teams. There are some titans that have have really revolutionized minor league baseball. Uh, I mean, across the country, and it's now you're starting to kind of I think have the the haves and the have nots of minor league baseball, which, you know, really could play into this whole PBA agreement that's coming up. You know, let's just get rid of the have nots instead of waiting on them to catch up. Looking at you, Salem Kaiser, like the volcanoes and the salmon seats from I five. Right. But you, but to your point, like how much is the, are the volcanoes merch sales up? Are they doing anything to, to spike their, their merch? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I wish I had the actual numbers because they, they didn't put numbers behind it themselves, but they did mention how a few teams, one being like the Rocket City Trash Pandas, um, obviously the Rocky Mountain Vibes, some some of these newer teams and what they've done with their merch and how creative it's been, 
they are responsible for like the bulk of these year over year increases. So you're right. I mean, it is showing that there are teams who can do this the right way. And there are teams that for one reason or another, just aren't really in a, a good spot to do so. And unfortunately that might play into their own demise and fit into what major league baseball wants to do with this more vertically integrated than like what do they have some term for it? Like one baseball or like major league one or something like that. Uh, or am I just pulling that out of my ass? Uh, I have no idea. I've never heard. I've never heard that. Uh, I could do a quick Google search. <laughs> <laughs> nah, fuck it. That, that would be terrible. But um, yeah, regardless, I mean, it, it's, you make it, it's a, it's a great point where I think there's certain teams, whether they're kind of stalwarts within minor league baseball or some of these newer teams who are having like really good creative team names and branding and marketing are making up the the bulk of that. And there's teams that are still seeing, you know, even in 2019, while the league's revenues um, from ticket sales and merch and everything are going up, individual teams are still going down for sure. Right. And, and, and I think what minor league baseball is really, I don't want to say struggling with, but maybe grappling with trying to figure out is how do they go from that rebrand? Okay. We got that huge spike to how do we maintain it? Like, obviously there's going to be a honeymoon phase. I mean, you're going to get a, a bunch of those people buying merch, buying tickets because you're now the Missoula Paddleheads or whatever. And how do you how do you maintain it throughout throughout the course of you know the the length of your time in that town? Um, and I and I think it, uh, Matt from last week. And again, shout out to Matt for for joining us last week. It was great to have him on. Uh, he kind of touched on it. I mean, it's really, you got to, minor league baseball sells the experience. And I think that's really what differentiates them. The haves from the have nots is not only do they, they, they have, they're selling the experience, but what is part of that experience is having the, the fun logo, the badass merch, like having that stuff makes you seem more, uh, you know, what's the word? you use professional but it's more you know not this crackerjack organization that only cares about about baseball we actually want to put on a good experience for our fans right yeah and and i was even thinking about how because you posed this question of you know how do you basically deal with like maturity um so first first maybe i'll i'll throw some numbers out just so that we can kind of put that into context where last year in, in 2019 minor league baseball licensed merch sales. So teams also have merch sales that aren't licensed, but licensed merch sales were $86 million across the league. Uh, that's a 16% increase from 2018. Uh, the biggest year over year increase since Michael Jordan was with the, the Birmingham Barons and the 10th straight year of an annual increase from the league. So you are seeing that realistically they're getting to the point where it's it's likely to level off like not many industries have year over year increases for decades at a time but one thing i think that maybe p- p- might potentially protect minor league baseball from a from a distinct kind of like leveling off in maturity is they're starting to do these um league wide initiatives like the copa cup yep. which forces teams to come up with uh, an alternative branding, which means more merch. And if they do it correctly and it connects with the community, the community is going to buy that merch. And you could say the same thing about um, specific promo nights and 
um, like one-off jerseys and, and merchandise with co- that comes with those promo nights. I mean, we saw it in Eugene. You know, the the Emeralds do what on average six or seven different jerseys per year, right. based on different promo nights. And then, okay, then you got you're auctioning off those jerseys, and you're doing you can make T-shirts around those nights and different merch around those sites. So it's almost like, and, and because that is such a part of the minor league experience, where alternate jerseys and theme nights and those types of things aren't necessarily part of a professional league experience it might actually help them be able to keep up those numbers because the fans are used to their there being new merch new branding like it's just part of the experience as a whole right and, and i mean it's part of minor league baseball you're absolutely right and i and i think you that's very valid uh i hadn't really thought of it that way but you know it's also you still have the laggards that are dragging everybody down. And, and I mean, that's what's I am starting the more I'm talking this out loud with you, the more I'm seeing like, maybe this is just a big ploy to get the laggards out quicker, you know, like, uh, I mean, and I use ploy. I don't want to sound like the leader in chief, you know, <laughs> throwing hoax around like so loosely, but um, I, it, I mean, it just, you're cutting 40 teams and, there are 40 laggards in the in minor league baseball. I mean, I, you and I could probably just sit here and ping pong, ping pong back and forth and come up with 40 teams that probably aren't pulling their weight for the entire minor league baseball system. Yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%. What's, what's always been interesting to me and is definitely a larger conversation, but um, you look at how expansive the minor league systems are, or, or even let's just say farm systems, because the farm systems of these teams include minor league baseball. It includes their like rookie league teams who aren't affiliated with minor league baseball to just run through their like spring training facilities. They've got development programs and academies scattered across Latin America. So they are, these farm systems are expansive and it seems like that's beneficial to clubs because it allows them to have just a massive talent base that they can kind of try you get and more develop. information. Like that's the whole, that's the whole beauty of it is just getting more information. And the more, the more training camp sites you have, the more data you can collect on guys, the more information you have about how good players are. That's the whole beauty of minor league baseball. That's all major league baseball wants for them. Right. And, but then you kind of like compare that to major league baseball wanting to shrink minor league baseball which would then make less teams less players in in the system it seems to go against that so it's always been like interesting from that aspect because i think we can get to a point where you can understand as we've kind of already gotten to where it's like yeah there's probably a business case at the very least to cut 40 plus teams because they just aren't soluble and it could make sense from a business case but from even a player development and a, and a data and a research standpoint, it seems to go against what teams would want in terms of getting their hands on as many players as possible and being able to kind of get good guys by attrition. You know, it's like fucking big high schools in, in whatever state, pick a state, bigger high schools are going to have a better chance at having good teams because they have more kids to choose from. So you're, you're more likely to be able to put together a team of five great basketball players from a school of a thousand than a school of 500. Well, and yes, that all makes is fine and good, but in a professional league, it's how is it? And I, I don't, you know, fair. I'm gonna use and I'm throwing quotes around the word fair, but how is it fair 
that the Yankees have eight minor league teams and the Brewers have four, like or five, whatever the Brewers have. I'm you know I'm pulling numbers out, but the Yankees have eight, and they're not every team has eight. I think the Dodgers have seven, which is second. I mean, so you're again perpetuating this haves and have-nots in at the major league level by limiting the access to information and data to other clubs because you know they can't afford to have eight affiliates and you know my argument is at what point is it so watered down like that you're you're you know short season single a or the arizona league and you're 26 years old bro you're you're never gonna make it to the major league level what do we what do we need him for like you like you don't need data on that guy you know Right. Well, and man, it's <laughs> it's an issue that I think Major League Baseball probably has always had because of not having a hard salary cap, because you have teams that have the ability to spend as much as they want on players just at the big league level. But then right. you brought up a great point that, I mean, I had never directly thought about before, but it's like, we'll use the Yankees as the example. Everybody has always known that the Yankees are notorious for being able to go out and buy the best team in baseball. And it's been incredibly successful for them, wildly successful. And, but nobody talks about, well, that means they're also able to fund eight minor league teams, a development uh, league academy in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Cuba, you know, all, all these hotspots where a small market team, not only can they not pay for those types of players at the big league level but they can't afford to have two rookie ball teams or a single a a short season a and a high a maybe they just have one of those so maybe major league baseball is saying maybe we got to bring a little bit more structure and parity to this so that we can kind of level out the haves and the have-nots right and 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 just to kind of give you another piece if you're the yankees and you have eight minor league teams and you let's say you make a trade and you you are taking on somebody who's you know an all star like the Yankees you know trade for CC Sabathia back in the day whatever the case may be um, if they trade for a player you have to give away prospects that's usually how baseball trades work you don't really ever see big name trade for a big name guy you don't ever really see that in baseball it's usually a big name guy leaving a small market team for a bajillion prospects from the other team. And in order to have a constant supply of prospects, you need to have eight minor league teams and all these facilities of guys that you can just funnel into the system and trade them out into turn them into Justin Verlanders of the world. Yeah. So it's like they're able to afford more trade bait. Right. Exactly. They they not only are buying the best team, they're buying the best bait to go <laughs> get the best team too. They got the best worms in the market. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of levels to it, and I don't think that and that's never been the messaging for Major League Baseball as they've talked about why they might want to integrate with the minor leagues and and take away some teams. It's more been about like the facilities and the ability to kind of um, treat players correctly and, and do all of this type of stuff. But I mean, when you start to fucking put one and one together and get to two of, well, this might make it harder for one team to be enormously better than another team based on their market. I mean, it makes sense to me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just, and if you go back to the original proposal, which I know we're not supposed to 
say his his name in vain. But the original proposal for all of this to like cut the teams was made by Jeff Luno, who disgraced fallen angel, whatever you want to call him. Like he was the original proposal of this cut forty teams deal back in before the Astro scandal broke. This is. I mean, I think 18, maybe even early 19, late 18, when all this was first getting discussed. And his original proposal was the whole backbone was to create parity in the minor league level. And that's what that's what he based his whole proposal on. He's like it. And he used the Yankees and Brewers at nauseum in his proposal, saying the Yankees have eight teams and the Brewers at the time had four. I think they've gone up to five um, since then. But he's like, you have just like like the eight you have eight teams collecting data points on young talent versus the brewers that have four and he's like this isn't a this isn't a, a decision to you know create yes we need to ha- have facilities to make these prospects develop better yada 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 allow us to collect data in the best way we need to in a professional way however it's mostly about creating this parity to where we all have the same kind of foundation to build our major league club and so I think, you know, obviously the scandal happened in Houston and, and he's no longer working in baseball. And I think there could be some PR. Let's kind of distance ourselves away from from Luno and what he said and just like facilities, facilities, facilities in the marketing. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, one one thing I saw that was interesting, too, that that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on when you talk about let's say i mean it, it seems like it's almost unfortunately a foregone court conclusion where minor league teams are going to get cut for one reason or another um how many of those markets well shit okay i guess this is a two-part question how many right now because right now there's independent league baseball teams one i'll use an example is the chicago dogs dogs as in hot dogs chicago dogs play like kind of out in the suburbs of the city kind of close to like o'hare um brand new fucking beautiful stadium in the middle of like a big shopping center they're doing it the mark rosentraub way right but they're they're an independent baseball team so they're not affiliated with minor league baseball as we go through this seemingly it's going to happen somewhat reorganization of minor league baseball do you think teams will pick up affiliations with some of these independent league teams who might be in more favorable markets than, than current minor league teams and shit. I mean, does that even push out more than 40 current minor league teams? And then with the the teams that, or the areas that get kind of pushed out of minor league baseball, will baseball continue to exist in those towns in any form? Will they play independent league? Will some of them just be like, well, we couldn't make a minor league team work, so we're not going to be able to make an independent league team work or a collegiate wood bat league team work. It's going to be interesting to see. So, so uh, to answer your first question about the independent league teams, there already are four teams that are going to get that have already been talked about: um, Sugarland Skeeters, the York Revolution, Lancaster Barnstormers, and one more that that are all four independent league teams. Um, and I'm blanking on the last one, so just Google it. They're out there, uh, but they already have been talked about. They're going to get scooped up uh, into affiliate ball, which pushes you from originally it was, uh, I think, 48, 44 teams were getting cut. And now they slid it up to 48 because, 
or 42 to 46, what, whatever the numbers are, um, because those four teams are going to come in. Uh, like Sugarland, the Skeeters, they are right next to the Astros. And so the yeah. Astros are like, yep, we'll take them. Uh, the York Revolution, I think, was targeted by the Mets. They're up in New York. Uh, the Lancaster Barnstormers was is like Pittsburgh. I mean, so it's usually just for geographic and f- facility reasons. I mean, the I haven't been to the York or Lancaster Stadium, but uh, I know the Skeeter Stadium they play in is a pretty is pretty nice. The real deal. Didn't uh, yeah. Roger Clemens throw a few few innings for the Skeeters he, back in the day? He did, and and funny enough, the Skeeters actually did their own like they kind of copied. I, I don't want to say copied, but they created their own league down there in Sugarland uh, during all of this pandemic stuff. So it kind of, it was a college, college wood bat kind of setup, even though it wasn't really college wood bat, uh, four teams and Roger Clemens was the manager for, for one of the teams. <laughs> I gotta love that. Love that. He's just hanging around the game. You, you can't get him out of it. You can't, you can't take the baseball out of the guy. <laughs> just throwing some heaters for the Skeeters having a hell of a day. <laughs> Ripping heaters for the Skeeters, baby. Speaking of, uh, I know, shit, I think I was looking at the roster last summer. Um, your boy Carlos Zimbrano was was hurling for the Chicago Dogs himself. Really? How much does he weigh these days? Oh, I don't recall, but I'm sure he can probably still hit a home run or two. I'm sure he can knock down a few hot dogs as well. While he's at the game. <laughs> that That's his signing bonus is like unlimited <laughs> dogs from the concession stand. Yeah, that, they, I would sign that deal shit why not they're probably pretty good um so last thing i want to mention here i should have mentioned it to uh when we had matt on last week but the sod poodles actually made the top 25 merch sales list from 2019 i don't remember what number they were but brand new team obviously um so to be in top 25 out of 100 and what 60 some minor league baseball teams pretty impressive Yes, uh, Sod Poodles, they, let me tell you, just, I, I know I've kind of mentioned it uh, in passing in previous episodes uh, on this podcast, but uh, people in Amarillo lose their mind over the Sod Poodles. Like, they literally, you, I could go to a restaurant, there'd be a line out the door, I could be like, I work for the Sod Poodles, and they will, like, knock everyone out of the way, roll out a red carpet <laughs> for me, like, and they're like, come on in, sir, we've... We've just set this new table for you. They're like making old ladies get up, like <laughs> seat me. Like it's, it is the town loses their mind over the sod poodles. Well, and it's a perfect example of it was a unique and well done branding that not only connected with the Amarillo community, but sod poodles merch is being bought by people who don't care about Amarillo sod poodles, won't ever go to a game, but they think the merch is cool. So they are buying merch as part of the minor league baseball community. So it's like a perfect case study of like, this is how minor league baseball works. And and just to kind of build on that, when I was in Amarillo this past handful of weeks, um, I went into the team store and was talking to the, the lady who runs the team store there. And she has just mounds of boxes that she's shipping out. And she said today on that day alone, she was sending out packages to 38 different states. Sheesh. I mean, it's awesome. It's impressive. So, I mean, it's just like you were saying, it's people, it's not just the Amarillo community, even though the Amarillo community, it's like you, there's Jeep tire covers. Like they, people have <laughs> tire covers with the sod poodle on the back. It's um, a Jeep thing. 
It is. <laughs> but it is. It's just like Ian was saying. It's a nationwide, like, people are buying into the minor league deal, and it's happening. It's definitely a nationwide deal. It's been awesome to see. I mean, we I, we participated in, in myself getting a Paddleheads hat, but the Twitter community for minor league baseball, people have been buying merch from teams since quarantine began, since the pandemic began. And obviously that's like not going to be the reason a team does or doesn't make it, um, but it certainly is helping. And it just shows that there is a community behind this level of baseball and these teams. Um so hopefully, even though minor league baseball is, is going through one of the tougher times out of any industry right now, um, hopefully this community will allow uh, the organization to kind of get back on its feet when the time comes. Let's uh, let's transition here to our next topic. Really just looking back into NCAA and what in the fuck is going on here? There's there is so many elements. Um our two main bullet points here are two main bullet points. One, the NCAA finally came out of their fucking coffin and like made an announcement where they are granting fall athletes an extra year of eligibility, um, regardless of if they uh, participate in any sort of competition or not this fall. So there's a lot of interesting things going on there that we can get into. And bullet number two, we are seeing uh, multiple schools that are uh, having the Rona outbreaks and they are have swiftly started uh, shifting school from being in person to fully online, yet these are at schools that are still planning to play football in a couple weeks. So a lot going on. Uh, pick your poison in terms of where you want to start on that one, Mr. Munz. Uh, I, there's just This whole thing is just such a convoluted mess. Ian. Like it is... <laughs> It's so like I, I, I like I I'm already looking forward to the Netflix documentary special on 2020 because they're yeah. like and and I really hope somebody makes one like th- there's got to be a 30 for 30 that comes out on this debacle that is going on in college sports like right now because I let, backing up to last week uh, when you have two two of your Power Five conferences pull out and the other three say, no, we're good. We're going forward. And the NCAA is silent as a church mouse on, on everything. And then now all of a sudden the NCAA comes out and says, yeah, all fall athletes get another year of eligibility. So is that like, is, does that preempt? Why are we playing sports? If everybody's getting an eligible year of eligibility, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And I just, the whole, that whole part, I really still, in my heart of hearts, believe that we're not going to have college football. Like, I, I know I've, I'm going to die on that sword because I, I said it, what, I mean, episode four, I think, was our first call that college football wasn't happening. Uh, it might have been before that. It might have been two or three, but it was it was in April. Right. I mean, we so, and I, here we are in almost September, and I still don't feel like they're going to play, but... I still, I just, I, I can't wrap my head around the other fall sports. There's no vitriol over that. It, this is such a, like, it's so blatantly obvious that this is the tail wagging the dog, you know, on, we're literally trying to morph everything around football. It's, it's asinine. It's literally crazy to me. Yeah. And what's interesting for me, even like now that you have schools, 
we'll use North Carolina and North Carolina State. Those are two of the big examples. And Notre Dame, for that matter, actually, because Notre Dame is going to play the ACC schedule. You have these three schools who have North Carolina and North Carolina State have gone full remote. So for the entire fall semester, they are going to be 100% remote. Notre Dame is trying to go remote for two weeks because they think that'll do something. Um, But regardless, those three teams are all scheduled to start playing football within the next month. So if you're an athletic director or a university, now at the very minimum, it seems like you're flirting this dangerous line of student athletes, especially football players, actually being amateur student athletes. Because now you are 100% putting them through a different experience than other students. Because UNC and NC State are basically telling kids to go to get off campus because they're not going to do any in, in-person in learning. They are allowing people to stay if like um, they their housing is a better situation or if they need like internet. So they're, they're not like kicking people out, but they're strongly recommending people get off campus. But the football team is going to be hanging out. And it's this weird fucking, it's a weird catch-22 because ultimately that's probably the best case scenario for the football team to be able to actually get through the season. If you get right. everybody to Send fuck everybody off campus, else home, right. but, th- but it doesn't fit the NCAA model. It just doesn't. The current it's NCAA model, it doesn't fit that. Because you have to admit that the tail rags the dog. You literally have to admit that we aren't a school. We're a football team that puts classes on. Like, that's what you are. And, and until you admit that, like, sorry. And guess what? I'll tell you, I'll go a step further. The Pac-12 and Big Ten are the only two conferences that says, no, we're a, institu- a university. We're out. Like it's not worth it, and the other all, the other three were the ones who said, "Ah, uh, we really this is hold on, let's pump the brakes a minute." You know, like just to chase football because those other three conferences didn't cry, bitch and moan when volleyball got canceled. Like Destiny Hooker isn't going to be playing at Texas anymore. Like that that's sad, and nope, there was no no backlash on Twitter. We didn't have school presidents calling immediate meetings. None of that. Her, her like, parents aren't at the uh, Big 12 headquarters uh, chanting and picketing on a lawn. Right. Like, it's, it's, we, it, it's, either we need to face the facts that football runs our society, period. <laughs> <laughs> like, or, or we need to, like, step back and all get on the same page, and the NCAA needs to grow some huevos and cancel, cancel football yeah uh, i i do think you're right though i mean i still also am in the same camp of like i just don't think it's gonna happen um we're not the only ones kirk herb street listened to an interview that he did earlier this week this is a man who won his two sons play at clemson his entire livelihood is college football it's what he loves as much as any other person loves college football it's how he feeds his family. His kids are involved. He he comes out and literally says, yeah, I don't see how it's going to happen. And he either. doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to say anything. And so for him to say well, that to me was like very just kind of leading of like, I, I think some of these conferences are are trying to make it seem like they're holding on for longer. So at the end of the day, they can be like, oh, see, we did everything we could. We laid it, we waited until the last second. But at the end of the day, I mean, 
I don't know how you're going to do it. Unless- Ole, Miss came out, Ole Miss came out this week and said 25% capacity. They're going to let fans in. The NFL like, is apparently letting fans in the stadium too. So I don't know what the fuck is going on with, with any of this fan nonsense. I don't get it. I, I don't get it either. Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones started all that. And don't get me started on Jerry Jones. And if I, I if Jerry Jones signs my checks one day, then I'll change my tune. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh Jerry Jones, I, I do not understand how some of the statements he was making about fan, fans being in the stands. Like Kansas City had fans in the stands this week for an open practice, like it was fucking spring ball or something. I, I just, what are we doing? And they had him in the doing? lower bowl. <laughs> and when you look at the picture, I'm like, okay, yes, they are in pods. Like you have pods of people, but they all still look pretty fucking close, close to each other to me. Like I'm just saying. Hey, how about an autograph? Know. Let's get an autograph. I'll take my mask down, give you a kiss. Let's. Like, what, what can we do? Because I did like Matt's point last week, where I think, and you guys showed right, like there is seemingly a way where you can have fans in stands and. I mean, especially if you're not testing everybody coming in, like as long as you're not seeing big spikes in the area, you can kind of assume that, okay, this isn't, this isn't adding to the problem. If players aren't, you know, it seems like there's a way to do it, but put those motherfuckers in the upper bowl and spread them way out. I'm talking like one group per section, maybe. Well, and football is the place you can do that. Like football, the stadiums are big enough to where like you can do that. And, yeah, and, and you could get 10,000 people in any football stadium and have them be way far apart from each other in the upper bowl or upper deck, however the stadium is set up. Right. I, I mean, and, and the sod poodles are a great example of how you can do it. I mean, and, and yes, that's on a much smaller scale. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, compare the sod poodles to NFL football. That is not the, the comparison I'm drawing. I'm just the like you said, the comparison is it can be done. However, you can't, you're not, you can't do like everybody on uh, your every first two rows you have at it. Like that doesn't, that, that defeats the whole purpose. Like which I mean, is I what st- Jerry Jones and Ole Miss seem like they were saying to me, like was Ole yeah. Miss was like, yeah, 25% capacity and it's first come first serve general admission. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to have crowds of people like gathered around. Kansas city had everybody from the picture I saw had everybody quote unquote spread out basically between the fucking 35s in the main section of the stadium. <laughs> like, wait a second. Something is disconnecting for me. Um, but yeah. Okay. So back to, back, back to college, we, we went on quite the tangent, but back to the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know. And realistically, let's say they do play. They, they figure it out, which would be awesome. I would love to watch some college football. It would create an absolute clusterfuck if three of the conferences play and two don't. But then you talk about how, based on the NCAA's verbiage in this extra um, year of eligibility, let's say the SEC plays, it's basically a free year for all those players. They could Mm -hmm. play again. It doesn't count against their eligibility, which seems just crazy. Which, let me ask you this, because if I'm a player, and I mean... I get a whole nother year of eligibility free, essentially. Wipe it, wipe it clean. I get a free year of eligibility. Why would I risk if I'm not superstar, not getting drafted, and I and take those guys out? Those guys need to play because their draft stock is high. 
I, I hear all that. T- uh, not not pocket watching people. But if I'm not high up on that draft board, if Mel Kuyper doesn't know my name, why in the world would I risk injury, risk it all to, to uh, this in this year that's not going to matter? That we've only got three conferences playing. Yeah, that's a fair point. It seems, I mean, I guess the only thing that came to my mind is it's like, okay, you you would still want to use this year as as a training and workout and a development year. But shit, man, you could do that. You could do that in a gym somewhere, realistically, right. you know? Uh, that's and, all and it the, is. Now we got to bring into a fact that like, oh, if somebody at Alabama decides, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, sophomore i'm pretty low down on the depth chart or i'm not likely to play so i'm going to take this year off i'm going to go train somewhere nick saban's going to be like okay yeah see ya (laughs) see ya never bud well sure and and nick saban i would tell you is the exception not the rule because there's and maybe there's you can argue there's two alabamas in alabama and clemson but whatever those two are the exception not the rule it's hard to argue that they've been in the national championship you know six of the last seven years or whatever the the math is. But the thing that I want to kind of ask you about is if we're granting everybody an extra year of eligibility that, that let's talk scholarships, the the scholies. And because I think the people who are really going to get feel this more, more so than others are the class of 20. Well, the class of 2021 high schoolers coming in the, those freshmen. Well, so the article that I read from Sports Illustrated basically said that anybody who basically takes the extra year, those scholarships do not count against your total. So the way that they're saying is that basically you'll still get your whatever 20 scholarships for the incoming freshman class and your roster size is just going to balloon. So right, we'll use football as the example. Right now, football gets 85 scholarships to realistically spread across five grades um, and then 35 walk-on spots. So you have a roster of 120. With this rule of extra eligibility, roster sizes could now balloon to 140 and you could have 105-ish players on scholarship. Where this Which is going to... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm just saying the, the, the that's all fine and good for the big big schools, but the little schools are the ones who are going to just take this right on the chin exactly. and not be able to afford to give away that many scholarships. Right. Exactly. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And you're going to have schools who, even if they would love to keep their entire senior class for an extra year, they will not be able to afford to do so because scholarships are expensive. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we saw it in the spring. The NCAA said, hey, spring athletes can get an extra year of eligibility if they so choose. We're going to leave it up to the schools. A bunch of schools, including big schools like Wisconsin, said, yeah, we're, we're not going to we're not going to grant that basically because it's too costly and comes with a lot of a lot of question marks. So it is a potential for there to be some dicey shit going on where big athletic departments are going to be able to fund bigger teams and they're going to be able to based on the NCAA's ruling. All right, let's I'm going to use this as kind of our transition. So gun to your head, gun to your head right now uh, on August 23rd at 2:07 p.m. Central Time. Uh, does the SEC play football this year? 
fuck. I'm I'm gonna say no. Still, I, I'm still saying no too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know when the announcement comes. I, I feel like we're inching closer and closer every day, but with all the schools closing, but who knows? I I've just am flabbergasted every day in 2020. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have, especially as more of these schools come back to campus, you're just going to have people test positive. It's just going to be what it is. And if the football teams are doing it the correct way, where if somebody tests positive, even the people who are in like contract tracing around them, even if those people test negative, they also have to like quarantine for 10 days or whatever. Like it's just going to be an absolute mess and who knows what compliance is going to look like. So yeah, I, I still would, would say gun to my head, not going to happen. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So let's, uh, let's quickly transition ourselves into a quick play topic here. Let's just talk about the NBA bubble a little bit. Um, I know you specifically want to talk about, home court advantage or the lack thereof. Uh, so let's start with that. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start with like the, in, in the traditional NBA playoffs, I don't know. I assume most of our listeners are familiar, but um, traditionally in the NBA playoffs, it's a best of seven and you have a two, two, one, one, one format as for home court. Uh, so two games at home, two games on the road, then one game at home, one game on the road, one game at home, which is game seven. Uh, if, if you're the higher seed, well, in this bubble, since everybody's in Orlando, they're all playing on the same court, so there is no home court, and and it's a new, essentially seven neutral site games. Um, and Chris Paul has said in an interview, and I'm sure he ripped it some, from somebody else, but Chris Paul um, said a real playoff basketball series doesn't start until someone loses on their home floor, and and. That's not happening um, now, uh, and I think you saw that um, this year, especially when both eight seeds w- won game one against the one seeds. Um, that hasn't happened ever. So so um, it was just – you're getting some very str- – and obviously, you know, the follow-up to that is then the number one seeds come out and blow them out the next two games. <laughs> the next so, two games have been complete <laughs> blowouts. So it, it's it's like – you know that if if those games were played on a home court, would these series? How, how much are we really altering these series the way they play out by just having seven neutral site games and the only difference being you switch your uniform to your away uniform for three and four versus yeah. and you have a different superimposed logo in the corner of the court based on who they're saying the home team is exactly like I, I mean that's your only difference like so so how much impact are we are we seeing this i think it's a big impact i think not only at the team level but at the player level as well um because there are definitely guys who turn it up when they're in a when the lights are on and you're in a big environment and of course that's going to happen to an extent in the bubble like you're going to get to a point in the game where somebody who flips that switch is still going to likely flip the switch, but they're missing out on a huge environment. So if you're a guy who really relies on that environment to get you going and it's not there, you're going to have to figure something out. And we're, we're seeing it affect teams as well. I, I think it's kind of cool because you take it. It's, it's almost making things like an all else equal, right? Like you're taking out a huge variable a huge variable um, in home court advantage, which it's called home court advantage for a reason. Like 
I, I, a shit like a month and a half ago, we went over the numbers of like 70 or 80 plus percent of home teams win NBA playoff series, you know? So it's like, it's obviously matters. Um, so I, I think it's certainly having an effect and it's kind of having an effect. I like, I think you're going to see who the better basketball team is. You're kind of seeing it with, uh, Denver and Utah, Utah's up two one has looked really good and they're the six. Would that be right. the case if it was a traditional home series? We don't know. The data would tell us probably not. And and I would tell you that the thing that's it's exacerbating the most to me is just that that mother momentum is the one that's driving everything now. It's not because momentum could get stopped when you have to go from Denver to Utah, or if you're if you're flipping, you know, or it could be really pushed forward. If you you steal game two and then you're going home to game three, your momentum could be pushed even further by that home court and you take game three, game four, and you're in the driver's seat up three, one. But on the other end of that spectrum, if you lose the first two games in Denver, come back to Utah and you're down Oh two momentum's all with, with Denver, but you're coming back to Utah. That's like the, just we're pumping the brakes on all this momentum, you know, like, cause we got, those racists in Utah that are going to pull us out of this. <laughs> oh, so, sorry, Colton. <laughs> um, no, I think even within a game, you can have momentum is different in the bubble than not in the bubble. We'll use Denver, Utah again as the example. Um, let's say you're in Denver, Utah goes on a run. They've got momentum. Bam, TV timeout. Momentum could be over because you're on the road. So now they have time to kind of regroup the fan, the, the, the game production people and marketing people can get the fans back into the game. So you're much less likely to carry that momentum through a TV timeout where in the bubble, you go, you go, go on a run, you go into a TV timeout, you come back, you're right back on that fucking run because nothing else has really changed. Right. Right. Uh, And that's the the truth. And, and, I don't know. I, I kind of like the way it's like you said, I like kind of this neutral court thing, but it, it's just it's hard for somebody who has been so ingrained in the two, two, one, one, one setup to to you're just it's messing with my my jive, if you will, on, on the whole flow of the yeah. games. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like pickup ball or LBA ball, right? You know, it's, it's, it's like exactly who's hot? that who's hot right now because they're gonna they're gonna win and it's not gonna matter because the home court advantage doesn't matter it just matters who's playing well where in a normal situation even the team who's playing really well they can be uh halted a little bit by mother momentum for sure i agree i agree so should we use that as a our transition into the dedicated segments this week yeah yeah let's do it um let's see let me see what you got here i know i had one that i wanted you to um oh yes i i think uh you, i would like to hear about your crackback of the week uh so my crackback this week it is um one uh, uh, crazy impressive feat um and one another crazy impressive feat uh <laughs> with with Yikes. less luster on it um so first i want to talk about the padres um what the pod the padres have now hit and again, this is we're recording this at Sunday, and they haven't played yet. They play in 45 minutes, so this could by to, by the time you hear this, the stat could be wrong. But as of this recording, uh, the Padres have hit five grand slams in their last six games, so which is 
unheard of. And I know we I know we can talk about the you know Fernando Tatis hitting the the three zero grand slam in one of them, and that pissed off a lot of unwritten rules people. Um, I don't know where you're at on that one, but uh, I love that he did that personally. Me too. I, I'm, okay. I'm team bat flip, team bat flip, team bat flip. Sign me up. But uh, I, I, to, to me, in a, in a sport that is so dominated by statistics, exit below, all that launch angle, all that, if somebody lays one down Broadway for you and you can hit it a country mile, why the hell wouldn't you? Like, I, Swing I away, don't... baby. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm taking it. I don't care. Like, I'm getting the, I'm taking these four RBIs and I am running. Yep. Uh, but so I just my crackback is uh it we haven't seen five grand slams in six games in forty some odd years uh, I believe was the the number so we're witnessing some some form of history uh, but my second part of of this this lovely uh, crackback is we're playing a shortened season so it's sixty games so a lot of fear uh, especially for me as an Astros fan who when the Astros got off to a slow start. And yes, I'm still keeping receipts on all of you because Jose Altuve has had multi-hit games in his last four games, so EAD. Uh, but the the Detroit Tigers were off to a rip-roaring start. Blistering. At the beginning. Yes, we're in first place in the AL Central. Uh, ten days ago, ten short days ago, the Detroit Tigers held first place in the AL Central. And you're thinking, wow, they've already played 15 games. That's a quarter of the season gone. Like, maybe the Tigers could could do something. Um, Ian, in the last 10 games, the Tigers are 1-9 and nine and have proceeded to fall from first to last in the last 10 days. Um, and and it really has just been a fall from grace for them. And I, and I really, I guess I want to just talk about, you know, maybe we don't need, it's kind of, Highlights that we don't need 162 games <laughs> <laughs> to really to, to determine who's the best teams. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is only surprising to people who don't watch Detroit Tigers baseball. Like, even when the Tigers were in first place in the Central and having putting together some good games, uh, everybody was like, "Okay, yeah, this is cool. Like, it's gonna fall off the cliff. Like, it's just a matter of time. It wasn't a, it wasn't an if. It was just a when." The big issue has been uh, our boy CJ Crone got hurt since he left the lineup. Um, the team has gone one and nine, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's still teams who are bad, and you're going to be bad over 60 games. You're going to be bad over 162 games. You're just going to be fucking bad for the most part. You're going to have the once in a while outliers like the Nationals last year, where for the first 60 games, they were bad, and then they won the World Series. But more often than not, you're going to be bad in 10 games. You're going to be bad in 60 games. You're going to be bad in 162 games. And that's been the Detroit Tigers for about the past decade. Yeah. I, I mean, and and I just really thought the Tigers, uh, I thought they were going to be bad. I was just, I was one of the ones that was surprised, much like the Orioles was surprised that they uh, got off to the hot start, but reality sets in and uh, down they come. Yep. What can you do? I mean, I think the Tigers are, are still showing some good flashes. We finally got Casey Mize, who's like the number one prospect in all of minor league baseball, finally brought him up um, to the big leagues and, and he put together a good first start. So we'll see. I mean, nobody around Detroit baseball is like super <laughs> confident or excited even that this rebuild is going to go well because it's been a rebuild for seven or eight years now. But 
we'll see. We, we've seen more flashes this year than we've seen in previous years for sure. God, Scherzer was Scherzer and Price that in Verlander. <laughs> we thought, God, that was a lineup. Uh, that was a rotation. We had Scherzer, uh, Price, Verlander, Annabelle Sanchez, Fister, uh, my guy, Portobello, a.k.a. Porcello. Like six or seven Cy Young Award winners. <laughs> Didn't win yeah. a World Series. Got swept in the World Series, in yeah. fact. Miggy hitting for the triple crown essentially, and then uh, having better numbers in every category the the following year, <laughs> like just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. But um, all right, let's let's move into mine. Uh, I think I have either a fire breather or a crackback. What what uh, tickles your fancy here? I, I want to hear your the crackback. I do. I want to okay. hear the crackback here. This was crazy. This was uh. So as I mentioned at the beginning here, I was I was out camping in the wilderness for a couple days, so I was fully offline for like four or five days. So coming back you're you try to get caught up on things and it's nearly impossible because so much is happening every day now across a a litany of topics and subjects but one of the first things i saw was isaiah wilson who was the tennessee titans first round draft pick um this spring he's an offensive tackle i believe he played at georgia uh received a trespassing warning from tennessee state university police uh because he was caught basically uh attending a off-campus party at the university that was being shut down by university police. So one, you're already like, we've seen what's happened in baseball with people going out and kind of being unresponsible or irresponsible. And then the team gets infected and, you know, players aren't playing, let alone at a fucking party with a bunch of college kids. Um, But then the article that I read had this little nugget in it. That was just beautiful. (laughs) Per Per the police report, Isaiah Wilson considered jumping from the second story balcony to evade campus law enforcement officials before finally giving up. So this motherfucker first round draft pick (laughs) offensive tackle. So he's probably what six, six, 300 plus pounds thinks he's in the middle of his rookie training camp. And one of his thoughts is, yeah, I'm going to jump off this second story balcony because I'm at a college party when, uh, you know, as we've been seeing on hard knocks, all the teams are talking about is accountability, accountability, accountability. Don't be the person who brings the virus into this locker room. Don't do it. And then he's out, you know, partying at Tennessee state and thinking about jumping off second story balconies, bold move. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, would yeah. have been cut, would have been cut yeah. if he wasn't a first round draft pick would have been and, cut but, immediately. Uh, yes. And, I, but let me ask you as a warm blooded male, uh, what part of you thinks that college campuses aren't going to be just as bad? Well, and that's what we've been seeing. That that was actually something I was going to mention. Um, you're actually getting college students are getting disciplined by their universities from going to parties. Purdue, like Purdue suspended 36 students um, within the past like week or so for being at parties. So you have colleges who are like saying, oh, well, we put out all these guidelines. It's the 18 to 22 year old kids faults that they didn't follow them. It's like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what do you expect them to do now? Right. I, if you're a professional athlete, because I think even college athletes, the expectation of them being responsible hundred percent of the time should be lower because let's face it as non-college athletes, we weren't responsible hundred percent of the time, not even close. So it, it's not a fair expectation, but if you're a professional athlete, even if you're 21, 22 years old, you got 
you got uh, zeros in your bank account that are why you have to be responsible. You right. just have and to. And that's be. the line. That's the line right there. Is you're dividing that. That's the line between college and professional. And yep. that's why I'm on board that we can maybe get these professional leagues off the ground. But college uh, is a whole different animal. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's transition ourselves here into the fantasy five for the week. Beautiful. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, the Fantasy Five, uh, each week, Ian and I pick a topic, um, and we pick a team of five, uh, pit those two teams against each other. We use a snake system uh, from the previous week to determine who will pick first because we uh, use a snake system because we are a society and it separates us from the animals. This week, Ian, uh, we, we determined our topic to be in honor of all the uh, college campus closures is what items are in your backpack the first day of uh of class when you're going to college now uh this is pre-covid uh backpack correct this isn't this so i don't want like sanitizer and yeah. mask <laughs> like yeah now to be uh, fair hand sanitizer could have made the list even pre i saw a lot of people with those true. clip that's on true. hand sannies you know that's true. That's true. But they weren't calling them hand sannies then. Sanny, I feel like Sanny kind of got got its its name. It broke out in the last five months. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a late bloomer for sure. All right, so so we're on board. You're on board with the topic. Understand the rules, caveats. Yeah. Um, you took on Matt last week, and I believe you uh, obliterated him. Uh, yeah, wasn't good. Wasn't uh, good. So so I will seed. Which that's your second victory over the guest, isn't it? Yeah, two and zero over the guest. Also, do want to point out that uh, I didn't get to put together the actual numbers, but based on percentages from both Instagram and Twitter, also squeaked out a close one against you in the sports heels from two weeks ago. So I'm on a little bit of a run here. I'm uh, I'm gonna have to talk to your friends and closest family members that you get to vote every week because uh, I feel like I'm being shafted. Pretty sure a lot of times they vote for you, but you know. I, I am on a little bit of a run. Now, this one is tough because there's there's a couple different directions you could go here, but I do think I'll probably take the number one overall pick because something that everybody's going to have in their backpack for the first day of school, first day of college, you got to have your laptop. Oh, yep, that's the that's the pick, um, and, and that's important. Um, so I, I can't deny that. That was my number one choice too. Um, but... But, but I'm going to take uh, two, two staples uh, that are entirely necessary for me, uh, and that is a pen, um, the, old, the old reliable pen, one that works, one that you like, that fits well in your hand. Um, you, need those, you need that. And then t- second, you need a calculator. Ooh. You need a calculator. And, and so I got pen and I got calculator, uh, two essential tools uh, in a college classroom. Yeah, and anybody who doesn't have a favorite pen, or I guess pencil, I mean, I guess some people are using pencils, but if you don't have a favorite pen that you use religiously and you just bounce around from different pens, I don't trust you. You're probably a no. psychopath. No, you probably sleep with socks on and you're an expert. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know a few people who sleep with socks on. <laughs> that's weird. They do They're have so favorite weird. pens, though. That's, I can't sleep with socks on. No, no, get lost. <laughs> but you do, you do have to have a favorite pen. It's imperative to your success. Oh right. yeah. And you have to get frustrated when your pen goes away. Like yeah. if you're, if you lose your pen, it's, it's like, we got to stop a minute and at least conduct a five minute search. Listen, I can't go to class if I don't have my favorite pen. It, <laughs> the pen gods are telling me no, no school today. 
ear off. <laughs> You're done. You're going to have to go, you know, wait, wait for the Amazon order to come in with your new ones and, you know, just take the day off, relax, kick back, take notes. Um, I like both those pick calculator is good. A lot of people, you know, we both had to take classes where you needed a calculator. And if you didn't have one, not good, not good, not good, not good at all. <laughs> Make sure you got some batteries in that motherfucker as well. Yes. Cause that's another terrifying thing. When that thing says low battery and you're in the middle of your exam whew, yeah. and they're like, econ. and you're like, well, my phone's got a calculator. Can I use that? They're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, moving on here. I'm actually going to get my top three picks. This is working out pretty nicely. I got a water bottle and headphones. Ooh, I had water bottle on the big board. It wasn't, it wasn't at the top, uh, but it was on the big board. Headphones um, did not make the cut for me. Although looking back in hindsight, uh, probably should have, probably should have. I will say one thing about headphones because I think about it every time. Um, Both, both at Michigan and at Oregon, uh, especially if you're walking by yourself, I loved wearing headphones. I mean, there's nothing just to get in the vibe for the day. Music, it's important, kind of helps you take in your surroundings. But I will say I do strongly think it's important um, if you're walking around your campus, take a couple days, maybe one day a week where you, you walk around without your headphones or without your earbuds in or your AirPods in. Take in the sights and sounds. Just, just, just take it all in a little bit. It, it is nice to do sometimes. Would highly recommend. And see, I'll tell you this, I am not a headphones walker. I am normally sans headphones. However, um, Michigan winters, when those things hit, I, I have the over-the-ear headphones that I'm wearing now. I know it's a great great visual for all you listeners. Uh, beats, beats by Dre. Yeah, but uh, wearing these in the winter, made a lot, it made, made life so much more comfortable uh, to get through, to walk uh, in that tundra that is ann arbor oh yeah so what what dr dre and beats knew is that they made a a very nice bass heavy over the ear headphone what they didn't know is they also made some pretty good earmuffs and they got used religiously religiously and it's great and i uh, still that's what got me into the headphone game so uh probably should have uh had them on my big board but didn't but moving on uh next i am gonna take Something that it might be controversial, uh, <laughs> but you know what? I live in controversy. Um, so I'm going to take a set of workout clothes Ooh, okay. uh, because a lot of times you find yourself on college campus. You've got a few hours in between class. You don't have time to run home, change, go back. Uh, so bring a set of workout clothes. And then I'm going to take uh, – got some beer money in my backpack as well. Uh, I think that's that's an essential item. Um so I, I got beer money and workout clothes, beer money. And I want people to know beer money is not just wallet, like money you have in your wallet, in your front pocket. This is like change. You're scrounging together to like maybe pick up a six pack on the way home. Or if you're really, really doing it, you've got some cans that you turned in and you've got like, <laughs> you've got like $15 and you can buy a rack of keystones or something <laughs> like, like on the way back through to your, to your uh, house or whatever. So, so uh, beer money, welcome aboard. I like the workout clothes pick too, because I think those could be uh, used in multiple settings. Myself as somebody who, Hey, there's been times, especially, especially in Ann Arbor, those, that first week or couple weeks of class, you're walking up to campus, you're fucking sweating big time. So right. have an have extra it. shirt, have an extra shirt in your bag. Never a bad idea. Never right. Cause idea. you don't want to be walking into class 
with the, with the stinky pits. Like that's the the worst, no. the worst. No, you you wear like a gray shirt to class one time, and then you're like, "Yep, can't fucking do that again." I need some dark <laughs> shirts. I need some dark shirts. Because <laughs> I'm sitting in class, and people are like, "Your shirt is multi-toned." Yep, that's, they call that a gradient. <laughs> Oh, I can relate so well. Devastating. So. Devastating. Beautiful. Um, all right. So I got my last two picks here. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm I'm gonna skip one on my on my board and, and hit these last two that I really like. One is a snack. You gotta have a snack. Um, oh, keep, that was keep my... going throughout the day. Especially Do you have when... a particular snack. I, I always would go shit, man, little like trail mix, a little trail mix thing. Um goldfish i'm notorious for goldfish um there was a time when i was doing like grapes but usually it was going to be something pre-packaged trail mix or goldfish um especially once you get off that university dining plan and and you got to fend for yourself you, you start piling up jimmy john's bills you gotta <laughs> you gotta get you gotta get on the snack train <laughs> um and then the last thing i'm going to add to my team is chapstick you gotta have chapstick chapstick wow love it gotta have it especially i mean let's go back to ann arbor even uh even when it was nice out you get a little wind you, you get a little chapped winter whew, got to gotta have it in the winter wow see i i don't think i went a whole i don't think i made it a day with uh chapstick in my backpack ever much less the first day oh I, I, I got that little I pocket got it. it's got a pen it's got chapstick ready to go wow see i'm learning i'm learning more about my co-host each and every every episode um, well, I mean, if he's taking chapstick, I, I guess I'll dip my toe in the controversial waters yet again. Um, I'm taking condoms, <laughs> taking, <laughs> taking condoms because you never know when the moment comes up that you might need it and you don't want to be caught without one. And that is my, that is my, um, PSA to everybody out there listening. Don't be women too. women too. This is, this is a universal backpack, like women too, like have them with you because that you never know when the moment comes up and you may need them and safety first afternoon delight you never know right you never know Uh, i you know i know there's a global pandemic going on and we got to say distance now but in 19 in in good times in 19 (laughs) that wasn't the case (laughs) back in my day no i think that's a that's probably an interesting one that people yeah i mean that's just smart packing there. That's smart that packing. is. I'm serious. Like you never. Uh, how many times? And and don't you don't have to out yourself if you don't want to. <laughs> but how many times have you been in class? Like had a, a late night. Like I say late night. Like your class gets done at six or seven, and there may be a, a boo thing that you're talking to, and she's like, <laughs> just come over after class, and you're like, ah, oh, damn, I like have to go to. You got to my house. You got to make. Yeah. You're just gonna get your steps in. You, you're gonna win either way. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, be prepared. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Stay just be ready. prepared. <laughs> Stay ready so you don't got to get ready. All right. Let's, exactly. Let's run these teams down. So I've got laptop, water bottle, headphones, a snack, and your favorite chapstick. And Cullen, you've got your favorite pen, a calculator, set of workout clothes, beer money, and the condoms that keep on giving. Yep. And uh, I, we can obviously tell who is the better student <laughs> from, from our list here, uh, probably. But I mean, you got a calculator and a pen. That's pretty good. That's what I mean. That'll get, that's what gets you by, man. All Laptop, right. pen, and calculator is really all you need. Quick question. 
are you a take notes on a laptop or take notes pen and paper? Laptop. Man, yeah. I was, uh, even to this day, pen and paper. I'll have my laptop, but pen and paper notes always works better for me for some reason. Uh, I'm, I'm a laptop guy. Um, the I can do it both ways. I mean, it's just, I, it's quicker. I can delete, I can like, cause if I do it handwritten organization it, is, is usually better. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like when, I, when I'm doing it handwritten, I, cause I always I have to keep levels like to keep my stuff organized and it like, and let's call it space paid. College professors never talk in a linear fashion. No, like, and, no, and no, so, no. And so like I would have so many arrows like circling back up to like previous things, you know, whereas on the laptop I can just click enter boom 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 like put it back in uh so just the organization and mind mapping if you will of of it all uh was better on on the computer yeah i think the thing that i found out was my initial recall is much better if i'm writing so if i'm taking notes on a laptop i'm gonna get all those notes but i'm not gonna fuck i'm not gonna remember a damn thing not gonna remember a damn thing um, so when I go back to study, I'm basically redoing it for the first time. I found when I was taking notes, pen and paper, that uh, there was a greater chance that I retained a lot of that information the first time and didn't have to start it at ground zero. I've done both. Um, some teachers force you to do one way or the other because they aren't going to let you have laptops or whatever it may be. But I don't. you can't go wrong with either or. But I, I like writing it out. Well, there you go. And that's going to conclude our... Uh note-taking tips for me and in color <laughs> for whenever you get back to school here's some note-taking <laughs> tips um yes. so so let's move into our sayonara shout outs to round us out this week um i've got one myself how about yourself i also have one so why don't you go ahead and uh then i'll follow up mine is uh pretty pretty quick and dirty this week just a, a happy birthday to the mamba kobe bryant himself uh would have been 42 years old today it's unbelievable to think that that tragedy happened this year. It, it's it, with everything else that has happened. It's, it's kind of become just another thing on on the list. But it was certainly a tragedy. It's one of those days where I think I will always remember exactly where I was when I first found out what the rest of that day was like, what the next couple of days were like. Um, so happy birthday to the Mamba. And rest in peace to himself, his daughter, and uh, the other um, family and children who were lost in that uh, horrific tragedy. And uh, I second that. And uh, for like the, whatever, 15th time out of 16 weeks, my sign or <laughs> shout out is a completely different uh, tonal message. But um, I want to talk about uh, Tom Brenneman and the Reds announcer. Uh, this is... I, I know we're kind of late getting Kennedy in here. Kennedy, hashtag producer Kennedy, shout out. Um, she wanted us to talk about the announcers and everything. Um, and I'm probably going to go against uh, what she said a little bit. So sorry, Kennedy. <laughs> uh, but um, for those who haven't seen it, Tom Brenneman is the Reds play-by-play announcer, the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, that's a baseball team. Um, many of you may not have heard of them. Um, but Tom Brenneman had um, – he – used a, a slur he, he said fat capital of the world uh on a hot on a hot mic uh before right as the tv was coming back in from a, a commercial break and uh obviously the mic picked him up and tom Burnham that he caught 
the mid game catches, you know, what he did. Uh, I thought, I believe he gave a very sincere apology. Um, and, and he took himself off the air, uh, and has been suspended, everything like that. Um, which, you know, it happens, but I, I want to say that like as a society, and this is, I guess my shout out is as a society, like we, we gotta, there's things that we need to cancel for, um, but this like one, the language that you hear in sports in general, like we would cancel every team under the sun if we heard what everybody said, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I just think you have a guy who came hat in hand, handled it professionally, got off the air, gave an apology and did it right. And yet is still just being crucified uh, everywhere. I mean, it's it, to me, it's, we can't make a mistake as a society. And, and I think that's inhibiting growth. Um, and so anyway, that's my sign or shout out is I, you know, what he did was wrong. What he said was wrong. I get it. Um, but like as a society, we got to build people back up. And uh, I think he was somebody who didn't get that treatment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's fair enough. I, like you said, obviously what he said is wildly inappropriate and, and you, as a professional broadcaster, hot mic or not, like he, he should, and, and seemingly does hold himself to higher standards than that. But I think you bring up a, an interesting point of this, like condoning and canceling, um, or or condoning versus canceling, maybe. Where in this, specifically with with Tom Brenneman, at least as as far as we know, he doesn't have a history of these things, right? He doesn't. He he seemingly doesn't have a history of of other um, inappropriate remarks or or massive gaffes. So although this may let's say this is his his first his first mess up and although we would like it to have not happened because it's late in the game to be using that type of language like people don't even say that that word like anymore like ever anymore right like it's it's just something that we've now been educated that this is a incredibly harmful word and um it needs to be kind of taken out of our vocabulary so the timing of it is is not good but if you look at somebody and you're like this is his one mistake there needs to be some sort of um, some sort of consequence, but there also needs to be an education and like you said, a a rebuilding and, and a growth. I think that's an, that's important. You know, there's there's other instances where people have had a history of mistakes, and at some right. point, you know, fool me once, shame on shame on me. Fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on shame on me. Um, but yeah, man, I mean it it's a tough one. It's, it's a bad situation all around, but I do think that we need to be able to, um, allow ourselves to educate when education is, is, um, beneficial versus condoning and, and alienating because there, there's going to be a, there's going to be situations for both and we need to be able to bring nuance and, and navigate those situations. And I, you, yes. And, and I, I recognize, you know, I bring up, I'm, I'm creating a gray area because, uh, I, I recognize like with Harvey Weinstein and, and those types of guys, that is not acceptable. Like that I'm with you. Like I'm with the vitriol. I'm with the, 
you know, let's burn it all down. Like I'm with you, but like, we got to find it. I know there's, we're creating this gray area of what's the difference between saying what Tom Brenneman said and, you know, what Harvey Weinstein did. They're both offensive. They're both crimes. Like, you know, what's, which, you know, where do you put, draw the line? And, and I realize that's being created, but I think as a society, we could probably find the difference between rape and saying. Yeah. I I mean, it's, you have to bring a lot of nuance into what somebody's intent was. And if, if they can be educated, if they have a history of things, all of those things, because we do need to create our society to be less, um, harmful in those ways like there's a lot of words that even in the past five or ten years have been taken out of popular vocabulary rightfully so because they're just they're inappropriate and we've learned how harmful they are um but yeah i mean they're just there there needs to be some level of when forgiveness and growth and education is is applicable it needs to happen because we're all going to make mistakes we all already have. I'm sure there's stuff where for every every one of us, you could go back and we said something stupid, posted something stupid where it's not appropriate now. Does that does that mean that's who we are today? Not always, right? So it's it's a nuanced situation. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I did like how he called Castellanos' homer run in the middle of the apology. <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> true professional, I suppose. <laughs> too professional i suppose but yeah it's just a sad situation all around and i do think that we do want to make clear that at the end of the day it is wildly inappropriate language that that shouldn't be used especially by by somebody that should know better um but but yeah education and forgiveness is something that needs to be um thought about at the end of the day well said well said beautiful put it on put it in the bible put it in the bible all right so before uh, before we get out of here if you enjoy listening listen to the podcast head on over and uh follow us on instagram and twitter at the cutback pod uh producer kennedy is a big help in getting our content out and and doing fun stuff for you to interact with so head on over to our instagram and twitter to do that as you already know uh you can listen to us on Spotify. Quick question though, quick question yeah. while we're on the air. Uh somebody asked me, are we ever going to have producer Kennedy on the air with us? We probably should get producer Kennedy on the air at some point. That's a good point. I don't know uh, if she I, I don't know if she wants to or not, but the floor there's is open. just been there, there's been clamorings that we talk about producer Kennedy and yet <laughs> we've never heard from producer Kennedy. So, uh I, I want to know, you know, if that's if that's in the works. This is a, so I, this will be the official. We won't we won't tell her off air. We'll just wait for her to listen to this and see how she responds. <laughs> yeah, that'll be perfect. <laughs> so for the audience, we'll see. <laughs> um, but every Monday, you can go listen to us on Spotify at the Cutback. There us a follow there. And if you don't like Spotify, uh, you can head over to our website, anchor.fm forward slash the Cutback and peep all of our episodes there. This has been yet another episode of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out.